1872, the United States Supreme Court denied Myra Bradwell the right to practice law specifically because she was a woman. Ms. Bradwell apprenticed, passed the Illinois bar exam, and had support from legal professionals, but the decision to deny her the right to practice law rested on the idea that women were, quote, never contemplated, unquote, to be members of the bar. Things have changed since then, but not without the sacrifice and fortitude of female lawyers. In our first two seasons, we met with a dozen or so female jurists who talked about their backgrounds and paths to get on the bench. This season, we'll expand on those stories and interview lawyers throughout the state of Florida who are trailblazers in their practice areas and role models for male and female attorneys everywhere. Hello, and welcome to Never Contemplated. I'm your host, Hattel Desai. Today, as the last in our series of interviews with law school deans, we're going to meet Teresa Rodwin, the interim dean of Stetson Law School. Stetson Law was the first law school established in Florida in 1900, and from its inception, anticipated female student enrollment. In 1908, Mary Stewart became the first female law school graduate from Stetson and in the state of Florida. More recently, in 2019, Stetson became one of the first law schools in the nation to have an African-American female dean, Michelle Alexandra. Dean Alexandra left to become the dean at Loyola Law School in Chicago in June of 2022. And since then, our guest today has served as Stetson's interim dean. Dean Rodwin attended the Marshall Weiss School of Law at the College of William and Mary. Prior to teaching, Dean Rodwin practiced commercial and bankruptcy law in Ohio. She is taught at Case Western Reserve University School of Law and the University of Cincinnati College of Law. She has received numerous awards for teaching, and her publications include the Excellence in Teaching and Faculty Scholarship Awards. Welcome to Never Contemplated, Dean Rodwin. How are you today? I am well, thank you. How are you? I'm great. Uh, I know this is your first time recording uh, a podcast, so I'm going to try to make it as painless as possible. I wanted, for our listeners' sake, who may not be familiar with Stetson Law, for you to just tell us a little bit about the law school there. Of course. Stetson Law was founded in 1900. We are located over in Tampa Bay, and we actually have two campuses for the law school. The campus here in St. Petersburg, we moved to in the 1950s, and then we also have a campus in Tampa, just north of downtown. But we're actually affiliated with Stetson University, which is located about 150 miles away in DeLand, just north of Orlando, and uh, really pride ourselves on being a practice-ready education sort of school, really making sure our students are ready to to be out there in the real world. Well, I want to talk about the law school, but before we do that, I want to talk about you. Um, I know that you describe yourself as a nerdy military kid growing up. Tell me a little about your family life in your childhood. So as you noted, I was a military kid, and that means that uh, I don't have a hometown. Always one of the hardest questions for me to answer when somebody asks where I'm from, because the answer is everywhere. Um, I had the, the really wonderful upbringing of being in a military family, getting to travel a lot, um, and uh, basically having a very close-knit family as a result, because when you move that much, your family has to be that important to you. So uh, two sisters and, and my parents and I, and we, we really did get to have that idyllic uh, life being in uh, the military, traveling from base to base. Well, tell me what your parents did in the military. 
Yeah, so my my dad was an officer in the military. Um, I actually don't know what he did because it was top secret. <laughs> so oh, wow. I don't really know what he did. My mom actually was a nurse. She was not in the military, but um, she obviously uh, worked at military bases pretty frequently as a civilian nurse. Well, it sounds like you um, enjoyed traveling. Was there a favorite place that you were located or based at? They were all wonderful. Um, It was exciting. We lived in Washington, D.C. in 1976. So we were there for the bicentennial, which was a really um, unique experience as a a young child. So I think that was um, sort of an interesting place to be in the 1970s for a variety of reasons. But particularly that stood out for me. It sounds like you don't know what your father did, but it sounds like you may not have had any lawyers in your family. Are you the first lawyer in your family? I'm the first and still the only lawyer anywhere (laughs) in the family. (laughs) Let me ask you this. Which came first, your desire to be a lawyer or an educator? Um, My desire to be an educator. I grew up thinking when I was young that I wanted to be a teacher. And then at some point in uh, late elementary school, early middle school, I started thinking, maybe I want to be a lawyer. And then when I got to law school, realized I could be both. And so that obviously led to me becoming a law professor. Well, uh, before you went to law school, you went to school, I think, in the University of Dayton. Is that right? That's correct. Go Flyers. (laughs) And how did you end up there? So my parents were actually stationed at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base at the time that I was in high school. And so I went to college and then my parents got assigned. I went to college at the local university. My parents then got reassigned to Florida and left. So where most students go away for college, I went local and then my parents left instead. And what did you major in there? Poli-sci, political science, pretty typical for a pre-law major. And so at this point, you know you wanted to be an attorney. Uh, Did you know what kind of attorney you wanted to be? I really had no idea. I think I knew what I likely didn't want to do, which was criminal law. I didn't feel like that was probably something that I was interested in. And I think I had sort of a leaning toward the business area, particularly when I was in college. I took accounting and economics and enjoyed those courses quite a bit. But I didn't really know for certain that I wanted to end up doing business law, which is, of course, what I ended up in. Well, you ended up at William & Mary Law School, and you were on the moot court there. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. And what other activities did you enjoy in law school? I was also on the uh, on one of our journals, not our law review, but one of our secondary journals, uh, the Constitutional Law Journals and uh, court team. And those were probably my two big ones. Those kept me pretty busy. I was also on our honor, honor code court and things like that. Well, what uh, were there any professors or mentors that you had that encouraged you to become a law professor after law school? Absolutely. Um, I think getting to watch my law professors was particularly exciting and I was really interested in what they were doing. I spoke with a number of them when I was in law school about what would it take to become a law professor. Um, And I actually, the the wonderful thing is I'm still in touch with many of them today. It's really interesting to change from being a student to a former student to now being a colleague and getting to speak with them on that sort of one-on-one basis uh, as a, in a whole different light than I did when I was a law student. But I, I really appreciate that they are still both mentors and colleagues for me uh, today, 30-some years later. Well, before you started teaching, you did practice, I think you were in private practice in Cincinnati. I was. Is that uh, right? In Cleveland, actually. In Cleveland, sorry. Uh, I knew it was in Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> and what kind of law did you practice? 
I practiced both bankruptcy and commercial financing. So uh, in times were good, then I was really working on the, the transactional side, doing a lot of the financing work and the secure transactions type of work. Um, when times weren't so good, I was doing a lot of bankruptcy work, more litigation focused. And what made you leave and want to start teaching? It really was just a good time for it. I, I went into practice knowing that I was not likely going to stay in practice for my entire career and that I would want to go ahead and teach and really started to set myself up for that while I was in practice right away. And then about four years into practice, um, I was offered the opportunity to teach at the University of Cincinnati. It was a good time for me personally. It was a good time for me professionally. And so my husband and I moved down to Cincinnati and that's where I started my um, academic career. Was it difficult to switch over from private practice to teaching? I mean, it's a totally different, not lifestyle, but work style. Um, no, although for me, I had the benefit. I had been an adjunct professor at Case Western while I was in practice up in Cleveland. So I already knew a little bit about teaching and had had a little bit of an opportunity to get my feet wet uh, in the in the teaching arena. I think maybe the hardest part for me was understanding how a law school really works, because as an adjunct faculty member, you come in, you teach your class, you leave campus. Um, you might have some email conversations or phone conversations with students during the week, but for the most part, you're only on campus for the time you're teaching class, and you don't really understand the, the politics of how tenure processes work and things like that. So that was the harder part. The teaching was not a hard transition for me just because I had already uh, done some of that. And certainly the the workday was a nice adjustment um, as opposed to practice where it can be 12-hour days, seven days a week sometimes. Being able to be in an academic environment, there's a much more predictable schedule. Um, Year-round, you, you kind of know what's coming up. There might be days that are busier, but you don't generally have the same sort of stress and pressure that you have in the um, private practice world. Well, eventually, did you become tenured at the University of Cincinnati? No, I was actually in a non-tenure track position at UC. And then when I came to Stetson was my first tenure track position. Well, tell us how, how you came to, to Stetson and when you came to Stetson. Yes, I only spent two years at the University of Cincinnati. I knew that I really wanted to teach. At the University of Cincinnati, I was teaching in the research and writing program. And while that was a wonderful experience for me, I really wanted to teach in the business law area. And Cincinnati didn't have a position open for me. So I went on the market in uh, 19 or in 2000, excuse me, to see if I could find a position starting in 2001. And Stetson, thankfully, had a commercial law position available. So I... I interviewed with them and knew immediately Stetson was my top choice of schools to go to. And thankfully, I was a top choice for them, too. So all serendipitous. I don't think we talked about what the timing of this. Was that in, in the 1990s that you came down around? In, I actually started in 2001. So in 2000 okay. was when I interviewed with Stetson. And then the way that law schools work, you interview really ahead, a year ahead of time and then came in 2001. So you've been at Stetson for over 20 years now, and what kind of changes have you seen at the law school? 
there's been a number of changes. So I came at the time that we were just starting our part-time program. So we've now had about 22 years worth of our part-time program. And I think that's been an interesting dynamic because all of a sudden you're, you're really serving two populations of students who have somewhat different needs. Our part-time students are primarily working full-time or have other commitments full-time during the day. They're taking their classes at night versus our full-time students who are maybe the more traditional law students and you're trying to, to, to work through both populations. I think we've seen uh, a change in sort of the student mentality. I think students today are much more inclined to um, work collaboratively in a way that maybe 20 some years ago they weren't um, because most of today's students grew up in an educational system that required a lot of collaborative work. And so they're much more accustomed to that. Um, so I think those are two really big changes that we have seen. Um, otherwise, though, I think we've seen a lot of um, consistency, both in our approach and in our sort of small community feel that it makes Stetson its own unique uh, place. Well, I want to talk about that in a minute, but I want to go back and talk about the history of the school. Stetson is, was the first law school in Florida. Tell us a little bit about the beginnings of Stetson Law School. So Stetson was initially over in DeLand. The law school um, was over in DeLand where our main campus still is today. We actually had a couple different locations over there, but uh, really spent the first 50-ish years of our existence in DeLand on the main uh, university area. And then moved here to Gulfport in the 1950s, really to take advantage of the bigger legal market in Tampa. I think that's been wonderful for our students. It was wonderful then. It's been wonderful for them today to have the Tampa Bay uh, legal market, which is a vibrant and busy uh, place to be. And we really had a lot of wonderful firsts in the, the time that we've been in place. So as you noted, we were the first law school in Florida. We were uh, the first, uh, we had the first dean of women at the university. And that was really at the time that the College of Law started. She was also a, a law professor. Um, we had the first female law graduate in the state. So lots of firsts that we enjoyed really early on in our time uh, as, a, as a law school. I know that the law school stopped during World War II, that it closed down, and that was before it moved to the current location. And the building itself, both in Gulfport and the Tampa campus, the buildings are beautiful and old Florida timey. Tell us a little bit about the buildings. Yes. So here at the Gulfport campus... Our buildings are really a Spanish architecture, Spanish revival architecture, and really just beautiful buildings. Um, that's wonderful for our campus because it promotes this just sort of resort-like atmosphere. And in fact, the campus itself originally started as a resort hotel called the Hotel Royal Yacht. And was that uh, from the 1920s through till um, just before we took it over, it briefly became a military school as well. So it's had a lot of transition, but it's wonderful being on this historic campus. We've got historic markers and, and so forth. Our Tampa campus actually is relatively new. We built it in, in 2004, but you'll see if you're driving through Tampa, the uh, tower on top, our, our logo for the College of Law is our tower here at the main campus, but we built a very similar tower 
tower at the Tampa Law Center. So you can recognize that it is a Stetson building. It's got the same color scheme as well. So we really tried to stay true to what this campus is. Um, so we've expanded it since then. It wasn't obviously all the buildings that are currently here, but every time we build, we keep with that uh, Mediterranean Spanish architecture that we uh, love so much at this campus. You, as you were saying, the Tampa area is a much better legal market than probably DeLand, uh, a more variety of law, law firms, uh, companies in-house. Tell us what is the current makeup of the Stetson class. And when I say makeup, I mean like Florida residents versus non-Florida residents, traditional versus you said the part-time. Um, you have a, different kinds of students, obviously. What What is the makeup there? So we have, um, every year we take about 50 students into our part-time class, where we take about 200 and some uh, into our full-time class. So you can see that the makeup of students, it's about one-fifth part-time and about four-fifths the full-time class. So much more uh, as far as the, the full-time class numbers go. Um, that will change over time. Some will move in and out of the classes as they go through, but, but I think that's a pretty consistent uh, starting point. Um, from a makeup of the class, while we do still get the majority of our students from the state of Florida, we're seeing an increase in students coming from other states. And, and that's great. We love to have students coming from other states. Some of them will return. Some of them fall in love with the Tampa Bay area when they get here and they stay after graduation as well. How many students are there total we at any one time? roughly 850 students at a given time. So it's a relatively small, smaller law school compared to UF or FSU. Is that right? Uh, so I, I actually think from a, a size of the student body, we're probably a little bit bigger. I might be wrong on that as far as UF or FSU goes, but um, we definitely feel small because we are on our own campus. And so sometimes we realize there's with employees about a thousand people on our campus. That's not tiny, but it feels like we're a very small, close-knit community because that's it on our campus where you might be at a UF or an FSU and they've got, of course, their entire campus, which is a much uh, larger campus, a lot more people just generally. Well, I stand corrected on that. What is the relationship between the community since Stetson is such, it's the only campus, I think, in Gulfport there, but they're, uh, you know, as far as clinics or uh, interaction between the community and the law school? So we have uh, two primary ways of, of our external uh, community reach out. That is, we have some clinical uh, education in a variety of different ways. We have our in-house clinics. So for example, we have the Veterans Law, the Advocacy Clinic, and they help our veteran population. Um, and so that's one of our external, our, one of our clinics internally that, that works with the external community. We also have a number of clinical and externship opportunities where students aren't here on our campus, but they go to a clinical program or they go to an externship program where they are working with the council at that site, helping to serve the community. And so uh, we have enough externship clinical opportunities so that every single student at our campus can do at least one by the time they graduate, and, and many will do more than one by the time they graduate. Um, so that's one way that our students really get involved with the community. The other is that we have a pro bono legal requirement, as many of the law schools in Florida do, um, and our students have to complete at least 60 hours of pro bono or community service by the time they graduate. And that gets them again out in the community and helping the community, particularly in the legal pro bono area. 
Well, you said before, and I can't remember the phrase you use, but basically the, the students graduating there can hit the ground running. They're a practical. Uh, what did you mean by that? We like to to make sure our students are practice ready. Um, practice I, ready. I, akin to my own experience, I went to a very good law school. William & Mary is a good law school. But when I left law school, I'll be honest, I had no idea how to practice law. And I had to learn that on the job. We have always had a commitment here to clinical education, to practical skills courses, so that our students learn not just the, the, the doctrinal piece of the law, but also the, the reality of how do you practice law. And we've always been very proud of that. That really is, I think, who we are. And we continue to make sure that we have everything that students need to become practice ready. That's really part of the reason why we have the pro bono requirement, for example, because it helps students to really start to develop as lawyers, not just as people who know the law. Well, since we're talking on, on that subject, I asked the deans of the other law schools that I that we interviewed for this, what is it that the schools are doing to promote professionalism and ethics in their students? And that's a really interesting question at this particular moment in time in legal education, because the American Bar Association, which is the accrediting agency for all of the, the law schools in Florida, um, has, has put forth relatively recent changes in some of the rules that govern uh, law schools. And that includes that every law school has to start thinking about professional identity development, professionalism, and there's a number of different pieces that go into that. And so I think it's actually a really interesting time because law schools are really giving some thought to how do we develop students as professionals. Of course, there are some things that anyone who's been to law school already knows, right? You're going to have to take your professional responsibility course and learn the rules. But for us, I think we've always wanted to, and we'll continue, of course, uh, to think about more than just knowing the rules of ethics. Um, and that comes from, again, being part of clinics and externships, um, incorporating into our classes. For example, I don't teach professional responsibility, but each of my classes has a discussion at some point in the semester about some sort of ethical issue that comes up in that subject matter so that we have opportunities to weave it into our class uh, environments. And so I think that combination of skills training and then bringing in into our, our more doctrinal classes helps us make it not just a one course thing, but something students are thinking about throughout their time at the College of Law. The other question that I've asked the other deans is what about their wellness programs, which when I went to law school, there was no wellness program. <laughs> we did the Socratic method and you were pretty much on your own. It was very competitive. What is Stetson doing as far as encouraging wellness and uh, good habits in their attorneys that they produce? So you asked earlier what, what changes I've seen over the 20 some years. And, and I neglected to talk about this one. I think one of the biggest changes we have seen is that students are both more, more interested in and more willing to avail themselves of health and wellness opportunities. It's really important to them in a way that it might not have been 20 or 30 years ago to students. And so there's a lot of things we're doing. So 
Um, most, like most schools, we now have mental health and, and counselors on campus, for example, who are available to the students. My law school didn't have that. And I think um, that's, that's been a relatively recent um, addition to law schools generally. But I think we're thinking about more than just, do you have enough counselors on campus? We, we try to promote um, wellness. We have student organizations that are devoted to uh, wellness initiatives. We offer you know, exercise classes here on campus sometimes and, and have different ways of promoting it. And I will say it's not just the students. So our campus also has an employee wellness program and uh, the, the Stetson Walkers, right, who all get out and take a walk together during the day. So we really try to model that as well and talk with students about how to make sure that they are thinking about wellness as part of their lifestyle. I think we all recognize that being a lawyer is stressful and can, um, can lead to some uh, mental health and wellness uh, challenges. So it's important for us to help the students start thinking about that now while they still have the opportunity to, to develop themselves as professionals. What do you do for your own wellness and, or in your free time when you're not being a professor and the interim dean there at Stetson? <laughs> It's, I will admit it's been a little more challenging to keep up this year as uh, as interim dean. Um, my probably my biggest stress relief is exercise. I I love kickboxing. I do that almost every day, even if I can only do ten minutes of it. It's a great uh, stress relief and opportunity for me to take care of myself too. I know that you also uh, play in a band that is made up of students and professors or faculty or staff of of the what is the name of the band. Royal Gardner and the Officious Intermeddlers. And tell me where you play around the Tampa Bay area or <laughs> what kind of music you play. Our, our biggest gig is here on campus. So um, the two professors who started it, Roy Gardner and Lance Long, are both uh, environmental law professors. And so uh, the, this really started as an Earth Day initiative. And we have a little Earth Day celebration, the band plays and all of that. Um, we've also played at Three Daughters Brewery, which has, uh, until COVID hit, uh, had a, a fundraiser for local legal services. And so we were one of the bands. We, we never won the, the Battle of the Bands, but we definitely bring the crowd. The students really come out for that event to be able to support their classmates and to get to see their professors on stage. That's always a, a real treat for them to, to see that happening. Tell us a little about what Stetson does to encourage those groups that are underrepresented in the legal field, but also as law students. Yes. So, and, and we are indeed a private law school. One of the things that I think we do um, the most to, to help with students beyond the pro bono service who are particularly interested in representing underprivileged populations or underrepresented populations is through our social justice advocacy program. We started a concentration in social justice advocacy. It's probably been 10 or 15 years now. I don't have the exact date, but uh, that program is designed so that students who have a particular interest in ensuring representation for the underrepresented can give some um, thought to their classwork and how they make that their career, because it's not necessarily obvious how to make a career out of that. And so um, the social justice advocacy program is really focused on everything about making sure people can have the representation that they need. I guess my question really, and I didn't phrase it very well, was more about the diversity of the student body. How do you encourage 
applications from uh, diverse students. And uh, once they get there, do you have any kind of support for um, non-traditional students? Absolutely. So our admissions team is really thoughtful when they start going on the admissions circuit, right, and trying to make sure that they visit a variety of different schools and that that brings in a diverse group of candidates um, for the program. We also have some some programs uh, that are outreach to our local community, really focused on uh, students who are in high school, for example, um, and bringing them to campus. So we have a, a youth civic engagement program, for example, in the summer that, that brings in a number of students who might have come from um, underrepresented populations in, it's not limited to that, but it tends to bring in students who are in the more underrepresented populations, really to get them interested in uh, civics and history and all the things that tend to underlie law. Um, And so that's one way that we, uh, it's not necessarily a, a pipeline program, but it helps to um, engage those those students in the legal process. And hopefully some of them will come to Stetson at some point if, if we've really triggered that excitement for them. Uh, we also sponsor uh, a booth at the uh, Stavros Institute on Constitu- called Constitutional Hall. And uh, that is an opportunity for all of the students in Pinellas County that all public school students go to Stavros Institute. And so they get to see the, the Stetson Constitution Hall uh, exhibit. So we really do try to make sure that we outreach to the youth in Pinellas County in particular so that they start to think about the law. And we don't know if they'll go to law school someday, but hopefully if they do, they'll think of Stetson as a possibility. And they'll learn about civics, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely, right? Every, something everyone needs, whether they're going to law school or not. Well, before we leave, I'd like to ask you if you had one piece of advice for a law school graduate or a new attorney, what would it be? As I'm thinking about law school grads, I think the biggest piece of advice is to really to recognize that the first job is not their whole career, right? And that their whole career is going to be a progression so that they've got the flexibility to move and change direction and decide that what I'm doing right now might not be what I want to do 10 years from now. And that's okay. Um, your career is going to be long and it's going to be an opportunity to really develop over time as to what it is you want to do and and how it is you want to serve the community. Well, I want to thank you again for joining us today. Uh, I know it's the end of the week, so I'm going to let you go, but I thank you for your time. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. I'm glad it wasn't so bad, right? No, not at all. I want to thank our sound engineer, Clay Shaw, for making us sound great, and Katie Young and Rebecca Bandy from the Latimer Center for Professionalism for keeping us on the air. If you'd like more information about Stetson Law School or need the CLE number for this episode, check out the links under this posting. 